welcome to our first episode of the Community and Podcast. This is our pilot episode. We're very excited. I'm your host, Jamie Langsco, founder of Chaotic Good Consulting. And my co-hosts today are Jackie Salinas and Laura Holmes. And I will let you ladies introduce yourselves. Jackie, you want to start? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, thanks so much for having me, Jamie, uh, join Chaotic Good Consulting. Um, I'm Jackie Salinas. Uh, I am in marketing and community and been doing that for the past 13 years. And we came up with the idea of this podcast because we saw there was really a need to just talk about everything that stems from community and then goes out into the business world. So I'm excited to to join the podcast and be here on a weekly basis talking about nonsense and hopefully some good bits <laughs> as well of knowledge. But yeah, hope, hopefully it'll be a good fun hour. Uh, folks can, you know, walk away with some knowledge. Um, and I'll hand it over to Laura. Thank you so much, Jackie. And thank you, Jamie, for having me. So I'm Laura Holmes. I started my career in HR and then transitioned to HR tech, health tech, and led uh, consulting teams within tech organizations for about the last 15 plus years. Um, I'm now a coach and consultant, and I'm excited to be working with Jamie and Jackie as Jackie and Jane both said about community and beyond, right? It infiltrates everything. So I'm talking about all the ways it does that and more. And let's see what else. Maybe some fun facts about me. Um, I drink a lot of green tea. I actually made this mug. I don't know if anyone can see it. Oh, that's a cool mug. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually why I have to leave a little early. I have a pottery class trying to find my zen. (laughs) I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've got two little kiddos, so herded them off to school this morning. I like doing jigsaw puzzles. That's kind of a fun fact. Um, anyway, I'll stop it there, but um, I'm happy okay, to be here. I have a question, here. though, about the jigsaw yes. puzzles. <clears throat> I've had a debate with my family about this lately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My grandma always would, she's super into jigsaw puzzles, and she's in her 90s now, so it's a lot harder. But she would put them into a picture frame and, like, adhesive them down. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. And so That's that, a lot of work. The massive, like, 5,000-plus puzzles. Oh. And so I was going to ask you, like, where do you do your puzzles so that your kids... Don't mess with it or clean it up or whatever to have dinner. (laughs) Yes. So I actually, for that very reason, at some point, I think this was during the pandemic, I got like a separate table and I've tucked it in a corner and I'm like, this is my puzzle table. (laughs) And that is kind of great because I can be present, but not having to play like the things my kids are playing. Because sometimes that's just hard for me to like get on the floor and be like, oh, it's Bob and, you know, whatever. And like play, like pretend play is hard. So I can puzzle. They can hang out. They know it's my puzzle table. Um, I don't, when I'm done, I just put them back in the box. But I, I do know folks who, it's a lot of work. So I get it. You want to like memorialize it and put it in a And then what can figure out what to do with them. I know she's got yeah. a few of them that are just like framed, but they're sort of like tucked away somewhere. Hanging out. Like, how? <laughs> they're in the garage. Well, that's a lot of wall <laughs> real estate. You're committing to like a landscape, you know. Right. <laughs> or whatever. Um, particular about the kinds of puzzles you choose if you're going to yes. be putting them, that's a commitment, right? Exactly. Exactly. But it is hard because then you spend all this time and, you know, like me, I put it back in a box and now I've got all these puzzles that I'm probably not going to take out again for a period of time. So my, my friend and I at one point were like, we should have like a puzzle exchange, you know, like I have a little oh, free library that's or cool. something. Like maybe we could do like little free puzzle libraries, but I feel like that could be a little dodgy with missing pieces. And I was going to say, yeah, yeah. missing pieces if you let people borrow them. We talked <laughs> ourselves out of it, but someone can figure that out. Not me, but someone idea. can figure that out. <laughs> like you don't get a new one until you return the other one with all the pieces and we are counting. Right. Exactly. That's a exactly. lot of counting. 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, thank you for going down that jigsaw puzzle rabbit hole with me. Yeah. I yeah, love it. So, I mean, I know you've mentioned before that you are not a community person, but, yes. but I mean, you clearly have the community mindset. You're thinking about how can we make the most out of these connections that we have, whether they're in-person community or not. So sure. I officially welcome you into the fold of community people. You are Thank a community you. person now. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that really brings me to our team, right? So our team is not just the three of us for all the, the people watching out there. Uh, we are, gosh, up to maybe 10 amazing women right now that are brainstorming and working together towards this goal of, we're not entirely sure yet, but we think it's something really powerful that all of our skill sets are very compatible with each other, right? So your work as a, as a coach and your previous work in HR doing implementation and training and all of the things that come with people development and thinking about how that integrates with the community. And then we have people on our team who are into product and who are into um, events. And, you know, so we have this sort of, and customer success, we have this sort of full view of the customer experience on our team that makes it, I think, super powerful. And it's been one of the drivers behind the idea behind this podcast, right? As Jackie was talking about before, we wanted to start talking about how does community integrate with the rest of the world, with the rest of the business world, and how can we take advantage of the power of community to do more things, right? So uh, I picked a couple of topics for us to, to go through today. Um, I think the most pressing thing that everybody can relate to right now is we keep seeing these layoffs showing up on our LinkedIn feeds and in the news. And I mean, Google did another one this week. I think the one that was most interesting to me was actually seeing an article about an Airtable layoff and their overall shift in strategy where they're trying to target now only enterprise. Mm. Seems weird for a, a very PLG product-led growth success story. And I mean, it's all, how, how do you define success, right? Uh, the CEO was saying that they will be revenue positive after they lay off like 20% of their workforce by making the shift. It's a huge layoff. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I have questions laying off 20% of your workforce. And some of those people are or a good chunk of those people are probably sales. You know, how do you wrap your head around this is supposed to be a self-service product led product. And that's mm -hmm. where they found success so far. And they're making a complete pivot into this enterprise space. And so I wanted to throw that out there, kind of see how you all are thinking now about self-service, product-led, community-led, product growth. And, you know, what are the implications of that? Well, I, I am curious to see what happens, right, to the, to also the community that is around the product. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have a super strong opinion on this, but I am curious to see what happens to the community and who's going to be taking care of them. And then also how the growth is going to continue, because when you have these types of products, you're relying really on the community do a lot of your advocating for you. So I'm curious to see, are they going to roll out 
more like developer focused programs because now they're going to be going after what I'm assuming is um, enterprise developers. Um, so for everybody's context also, yeah. Jack has quite a bit of experience doing open source community work. Yeah, for- developers are my bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I, I definitely want your thoughts on, you know, if you are trying to take a, a community-driven motion, whether it's open source or whether it's product-led growth, and you're turning that into an enterprise product, I mean, what are the considerations there that they should be thinking about that they're probably going to be losing out on in this change? And so I think well, that. I mean, in, okay, maybe I'm wrong, and this is just like my opinion, but it could also just be like if... if the way I'm thinking about it, if you're going to transition over to enterprise, for example, um, it the community practices still don't change that much. Much, you're, I think it's just your audience is going to change. You still need to be able to make your enterprise customers successful and super users of your product. So, you know, you still have to dole out education, webinars, you know, all these different tactics of how, how you want to communicate and educate that audience. But I'm just curious, like, what's going to happen to everybody else? Is is the focus going to shift then completely? Like, are all resources going to go over to the enterprise side and say, hey, we're not going to put effort into maybe doing free things for people who, yeah, you know, everything so, might have to be like now a certification or I don't know. There's so many avenues you can take this, but. Laura, go so, ahead. No, I was just going to say for clarification. So their pivot they're basically excluding like anything down market. Is that the correct interpretation of shifting to enterprise? It seems to be. I don't know what the what is ultimately going to happen to their freemium model. Um, but it seemed like based on some of the responses that I'd read as well, that a lot of their feature development in recent history has been more focused on enterprise use cases. Mm-hmm. And then if they did away with 20% of their workforce and a good chunk of those were sales folks who I assume were then focused on those SMB, the mm-hmm. 10K or below contract sizes, it kind of feels a, like a pretty substantial move to make a way yeah. from the market. Yeah, because even, you know, I lived in the SMB mid-market space for a lot of my career, you know, in tech. And, and it's definitely like a volume game mm-hmm. in, you know, down market where you have to really rely on self-service because you can't have so many people scale. one-to-one, right? You can't, you can't yeah. scale it. But it is a really... It can be done really successfully. So I'm curious, like what, you know, we won't have the answers to these, but why they made that choice to kind of exclude a really large segment of... And I imagine that that is kind of, and I mean, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, Laura, because you've been on that side of it more than I have. But my assumption would be that those smaller contracts are not just SMBs, right? That's not the only persona that's taking advantage of that $10,000 contract. Maybe it's like an, an entry level for an enterprise to say, you know, we need a proof of concept. We're willing to yeah. pay for this small dollar contract with the expectation that if it works out, maybe we'll grow it. And I don't know if that is still part of what their interest is, but I imagine that if they're significantly degrading that sales process or the onboarding process or what have you, yeah, that, that might change the ability for those enterprises who are more conservative. Does that resonate or is am I assuming? Yeah, I mean, in, in the spaces I occupied and for onboarding and implementation of you know, <clears throat> new SaaS products, some enterprise clients would choose to do that. They do kind of like a proof of concept, smaller segment of their business or things like that. Um, but the majority of the space really is genuinely occupied by 
again, in my experience, truly SMB mid-market, you know, organizations who are utilizing the tool, you know, to prop up some process or, or aspect of their business. Um, in fact, you know, the company I just came from, we used, we used Airtable. Um, so I'm even thinking, I'm like, oh, shoot, I wonder how that's going to affect their ability yeah. to be supported in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's unfortunate because it was one of those things, and this is completely my own self-serving personal opinion that I was just starting to really get into Airtable and I was using it at my last company, um, both for managing a, um, a portal in essence, like the back end of a portal, but mm-hmm. also um, for managing a, a content calendar. And so, yeah, that's going to be disruptive for any of those mm-hmm. companies that are utilizing that as a core part of their operation. So, I mean, I can't imagine anybody's getting kicked out, but I could see the support. Yeah. And if they decide <laughs> to start restricting any of the, um, access to core features and things like that, that, that would be pretty problematic. Well, I wonder if they maybe even don't stop. I mean, maybe it's, not restricting access, but they just stop supporting it. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen that in my time where it's yeah. like, we're pivoting. We recognize, you know, logically we can't sundown or or restrict this access because we have clients or customers using it, but we're just going to stop paying attention to it. Yeah. And so there's no longer, you know, engineering development product support. And it just kind of slowly just yeah. falls so apart on its own. End of life that... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that yeah. makes me think, and I'm completely just following threads now, but it makes me think about, you know, is there an opportunity there not only to add the community support element, and this is back to you, Jackie, like what what do you think is the right way to continue the customer experience for those lower tier, like community level as I've heard, I've heard a lot of enterprises use community to, as synonymous with like the free tier or the lower tier. Oh of my security. God, it drives me nuts. Right? How do we make sure those people are not just ignored and yeah, abandoned? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think that there's there's definitely really strategic ways that you can engage this audience, even if they're not paying and they're just taking advantage of the free tier, for example. So there are going to be people out there that are just going to naturally gravitate towards your product and love it. And they're going to be like your biggest champions. And they might not even care if they have to pay for it, right? Because they love they love it so much. And I will say sometimes it's really hard to identify these individuals, especially when as an, as an organization, you don't have any of those channels already set up. So like if you don't have a Slack or if you don't have a Discord or even just a, a, a forum where people can start asking questions and they can help each other out. Uh, normally the way that you identify these individuals is they're going to be the ones answering questions over and over and over again they're going to be the most active on, on these, on these platforms. So it's like, A, are you going to have, like, I am curious to see, for example, let's take Airtable. Are they going to have someone in marketing dedicated to monitoring these platforms? If they already have any sort of platforms out there available where their community can interact And if so, like you can do something really easy, like an ambassador program where you could just 
throw swag at them, or maybe even bring them in as individuals you can interview and say, hey, how can we make our product better? We've noticed that you have X amount of usage time in our, uh, you know, using our product. We see that you're answering questions in our community. Um, that could be another way to to really incentivize individuals or even say, hey, we've noticed that we saw this use case of how you're, you're leveraging Airtable. Would you want to go and like if you have an internal um, event, would you want to come and talk to our our field team about how you're using our product? Or do you want to go into a, a third party conference and talk, join us as well, and we can present a use case together? So I think there's a lot of ways that you can engage these individuals. But again, it is up to the organization to see if they're actually going to have these channels. Because it's really hard for just like like myself as an individual, say like I am a lover of Airtable. Um, this news is coming up to me. I, it's going to be a little bit hard for me to start like my own community around Airtable. I might start a meetup, for example, and say, hey, all Air. Airtable people come in and let's chat about like Airtable in, in, in meetup format, sort of like old school user groups type of scenario. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like, <clears throat> I think Notion struggled with this a little bit as well, but I think what we're seeing is a really strong move towards marketplaces and that that is the place where people yeah. are able to do their contribution in those types of collaboration tools where they say, you know, I've built this template, I want to share it. And so we see it in like Miro and Mural, we see it in the Atlassian ecosystem. There's a lot of opportunity for sort of not only building templates, but maybe even building apps such that people can still kind of contribute in that very meaningful way. And I mean, to be very clear to everybody who is listening, most of my experience is also in enterprise focused communities. So that's not to say that you can't have a strong community motion with an enterprise focused product. I mean, I was at SAP for almost seven years. That is, it doesn't get more enterprise than that. And, uh, you know, being able to kind of refocus as a community leader, who your target persona is for that community, instead of saying, you know, we serve everybody and we, you know, this is support, but it's also you know, helping people stand out and whatnot, really honing in on how do my target persona people want to contribute? How do they want to be involved? And then how, to your point, how can we tap them to help us build, continue to build product that serves their needs because now there are people within those big customers as opposed to maybe the head of whatever at a small, small business, right? Yeah. Um, go ahead, Laura. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, it, in the community space, you know, it seems like, you know, the work is, is more outward. The people who are going to be advocates, the users. Does the language of community ever translate inward to the company, right? You think of a layoff, the, all the people who are affected by that kind of the community within the organization um, and how those individuals are going to support it. Cause that then does trickle outward, right? Jackie, to your point, if they don't have a marketing person or they're not clear on what they're doing, that to me is a first step to be able to have any sort of outward presence 
And yeah. so if they're still asking those, in my mind, big questions or don't have a plan to support the people who are still there. And also something you said in the beginning, Jamie, um, I kind of can't shake is the uh, CEO, I think you said, mentioned that it will be profitable after this. Oh, yeah. Right that in- I can't, to me, becoming profitable by laying off a fifth of your workforce should not be something that is touted or celebrated or in any way seen positively. If you as an organization could not figure out how to be profitable through strategic and smart business decisions, of which I do not agree with layoffs as being one of those, this is nothing to be celebrated. Like you, there is human cost that you now get to celebrate profitability. Like, no, hard stop. Um, so anyway, I, I, I just, heard out loud. Huh? <laughs> yeah. They said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, oh, like, oh, we got rid of, you know, 20% of our people, but don't worry. Like we're profitable. Like, you know, we, we cut mean, our, right before our, our financial statements came out, we cut all our liabilities. Exactly. Well, they, they have one yeah. audience they're talking to with that statement. Yeah. You yeah. Know? They're, they're bored. Yes. Exactly. Um, it kind of reminds me like the last company that I was with, it was, we went through a similar exercise. Yeah. About a year ago, last year, September, November timeframe where they let, I think they let go. I want to say it was like 9% or 10% of the sales force and their goal is to um, go public. So the reasoning they gave us for, letting that 9% of the sales force go was also very similar along the veins. Hey, we're trying to IPO. So if we let go, we, we fucked up. We hired too quickly. Now we got to let these people go. Cause then we don't, we're not on, on track to like IPO. That was, that was it. And I was just like, so because you made a, like you fucked up and you made this mistake. Now you're, now you're totally okay with justifying your mistake and saying, this is why we got to like fuck with people's livelihoods. Sorry, we got to let them go. Cause if not, then we don't make the money. So it, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the underlying problem with all of that, the human <laughs> cost side is you got to where you are revenue wise with those people. Now that you let them go, what is your next quarter going to look like? What is your year from now end of year statement going to look like? Or are you going to get through your next uh, milestone or whatever and then rehire all those people, which is a lot of what we're seeing, I think, at some of these companies right now. And to your question, Laura, about does that language ultimately go back into the business? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to see, I mean, at the beginning of this year, a ton of community people were let go and the, and they're still being let go. Yes. Even more. What I'm thinking and what I've been thinking since this started was the company does not yet see the impact of that, but they will. And whether or not they acknowledge that that is because the community people aren't there tying all of this together is yet to be seen, but ultimately I think what we will see is product quality goes down, support satisfaction goes down, and ultimately your top of pipeline shrinks because people are not happy 
they're telling their friends they're having a terrible experience with your company now. And you're going to be sitting there going, why are my salespeople not selling? Maybe that's what we're seeing right now is they're letting all these salespeople go because the community people started talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're I mean, but it is true. Talking. It is, it is very true in like the developer ecosystem that as soon as they ask you what happened, why are you not with this company anymore? Like, and then you're like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, and you I know, think a lot of companies, people like immediately like will flip on companies and products. Like exactly. as soon as you fuck somebody over who they know is a good employee or who they know like is somebody in the industry that is well known and has like done good stuff for the community, they the developers are totally okay with being like, boy, bye. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think a lot of these companies think about their employer brand as something totally different from their market brand. And they're not. Because no, they're not. In developer spaces. But any place where your core user has more or substantial buying power or influencing power, and especially in the developer space where it's so tight-knit and everybody, you know, I don't know, developers are strange. I had... I was married to one, my first marriage. <laughs> and, and they, they just have a very different mindset about things, about relationships, about work, about, I mean, their relationship with their work is very different mm-hmm. from most people. And so I would say that, especially in developer spaces, like you said, Jackie, when you, when you mess up with your employees, all of your developer customers are going to hear about it mm-hmm. and they have no problem saying, you know what? There's a lot of other options out in the world and I am happy to go jump on those. I mean, all you have to do is look at like the, the browser space is a really easy example of mm-hmm. when you get a certain reputation as a company, everybody's going to switch off and it's going to be really hard to get them back whether it's something technical with your product or it's something with how you've treated your employees. I mean, we see this in the gaming space with Blizzard. We've seen it in a lot of these different industries. I mean, look, I think uh, Basecamp is a good example as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with what happened there. No, I'm not. So they were uh, one of the, I would say, primary players in the sort of code management space back in the day and their CEO basically said in the midst of the whole MAGA Trump thing uh like no political conversations are allowed at all at work oh right yeah oh my god there were amazing memes that came out of that right (laughs) so but then I if I recall correctly and nobody quote me on this even though we're being recorded um (laughs) If I correctly, there was, you know, subsequent commentary from them, from the CEO or from the the leadership, um, and so it was a very much a rules are for other people situation. Mm-hmm. And does anybody know what happened to them? Because they kind of just uh, they're well. 
I mean, mean honestly, <laughs> like I know Basecamp. I didn't know it was like a code thing. I know Basecamp as a project management tool now that yeah. agencies use, and we all hated it when I was at AWS. We were like, God, Basecamp sucks. Um, and that's how I know it. I didn't realize it was actually sounds like kind of like uh, a git. Type I of. think that if I recall, and I'm not a developer, but it, my understanding was that it was sort of an early git concept. Hmm. That's funny. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and, and kind of going back to something that Laura mentioned and, and community goes both ways. You're right. It's very much internal and external. And I think one of the things that I've seen done very poorly is the focus on internal communities. And one of the, the issues that I've also identified with some of these um, startups that I've tried to work with that call themselves either open core or they have an open source project is internally, they do not practice what they preach. They do not. Um, the whole concept of community is a very much external facade that you, you know, focus on for the project, but internally, like, you know, there were some, like one of the biggest issues that I had was I had to educate people on what open source was, and we were supposed to be open core companies. And then experience at at Mongo in some ways at MongoDB. And then they're like, you know, they want to treat open source projects like products. And then they want to treat the community like their direct employee. And it's like, you guys, they're volunteers. And so, you know, it's it's a lot of education. And part of me kind of, I think this is why I've been turned off by trying to work with open core, open source companies again, because it's just like, you guys don't practice what you preach. And then you treat your employees not good at all. <laughs> yeah. And then so, they're their community contributors as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And then the community finds out, like you said, and then they're like, you know, they don't stick around. So, yeah, I mean, look at look at Docker. Docker's struggling too to get community engagement to maintain their place in the market because they haven't managed their developer community relationship well. And you know, as a result, and that's that's really where this comes full circle is as a result, the product falls behind competitors. And so when we're talking about community in this context, especially, it really is core to the success of the business. And I think, you know, again, going back to what you were asking about before, Laura, is they haven't figured it out yet, but they will. When they start realizing that they're losing market share, when they start realizing that their competitive advantage is going away, there will be a resurgence of interest in community. And I think... Go ahead. Sorry. It's bad timing. Um, I was just going to say, like, do you think, then this is not, again, they'll come back to that? Like, they'll realize that is the the deficit? Because in my mind, a lot of short-sighted decisions are being made, which indicates to me they don't understand the long tail, a lot of these initiatives and efforts. So it almost seems very generous that they will have that realization and there will be this resurgence. I mean, I'm logically tracking with you, and I think that could be true, but that's, they would have to have acknowledged now then that it's value, and in despite of their value, you know, said no thanks. Yeah, I think that I've also been on this uh, introspective journey over the last 10, 12 months, 
where I've tried to figure out how to make that awareness happen yeah. for so long that I'm like, we're, we're doing something wrong. We're yeah. doing this wrong because they're not getting it. And what I always preach is, you know, speaking to people in their language and we are doing it wrong. And so I think for them to come full circle and recognize the impact that these decisions have had on their bottom line and on their operations is that we have to stop talking about and treating community as a separate thing. Mm -hmm. And we have to stop thinking about, I think we lost Jackie. We did. It looks like. Come back, Jackie. (laughs) Um, I think that we have to really get to a point where community is truly integrated into the culture of every company that wants to have this connection to the market Mm -hmm. uh, and talking about it in ways that they understand. So like for salespeople, we have to talk about the very top of the funnel. Now, those are not people that you should be considering leads, but they are like Mm pre-leads, right? They're, they're, and even if they're not, they're connectors to people who might be, right? Yeah. And when we're talking to marketing, we need to help them understand that content marketing is very closely intertied with community programs and community engagement. They're not exactly the same, especially with the way that product marketing and content marketing has been done up until now. And I've had very, I've, I've talked about this before, but I've had very weird interactions with a lot of product marketers in the tech space where they say, I don't know how to to market to developers. Hmm. Like you're working for a B2B SaaS company. How do you not know how to market to developers? Because they all have some sort of a a maintenance or development or customization component, right? So you have to understand how to speak to that audience Mm -hmm. and to do that, we have to teach the business people how to speak community, but we also have to learn better as a, a profession how to speak in their language. Yeah. And I think that's where we've been failing. And that's part of the reason why we put this podcast together. Yeah, no, I think it's a great conversation. And I think it translates what I hear, you know, again, as you said at the top, like community uh, by title or function has not historically been my space. But I think this, it, it resonates even from an onboarding implementation perspective, like pro- demonstrating the value because it doesn't immediately or obviously show up on a, you know, financial spreadsheet, right? You don't immediately see the monetary value like you do with a sale or you do with, you know, customer success and getting renewals and things like that. Like the, the value is not obviously displayed in dollars and cents. And so I think that frustration you feel and the existential journey you've been on to be like, we've been doing this wrong. How do we do this differently? Very much resonates with me in the implementation and onboarding space, because it's a much more operational, like reality rubber hits the road. It's like, you're sold a unicorn you're getting a donkey. We're going to do our best. You know what I mean? Like it's, and, and then you're, you're like this, the, the, the bad person who's got to make it happen, but you don't have any revenue generating output to validate what you're doing. You're just like this annoying squeaky wheel in the middle of like two shiny objects. So anyway, I, I, I just really resonate with that. And I think it's interesting to try and reimagine not necessarily what you're, what's being done. Cause what's being done, I think is probably working. 
but how others understand what's being done. So the appropriate value can be applied. Yeah. Um, And I think it's something that we've struggled with so much as a profession. And there's a lot of tendency right now to try to find the magical metric that's going to prove our community worth. And the reality is that there are parts of the business that do not have a clear through line to the bottom line. And some element of that is getting the, the operating on faith that Yes, marketing helps drive sales. Yes, community helps drive sales ultimately (laughs) from the bigger picture, right? But not trying to monetize and measure and um, justify everything that we do. And it's it's a constant battle. And I don't have the answer right off, but (laughs) what I've come to is truly we need to stop thinking about it as separate. And we need to start whether it's, you know, if you have enough headcount that you can inject a community person into every functional area, by all means. I am no longer, I I was a very fervent chief community officer advocate for a minute. And now I am not anymore Hmm. because I think that community should be integrated into the DNA of the company. And I think that if you have, say, a chief customer officer, that person should be thinking end to end. Mm-hmm. And community should be at every step of the of the journey there. And to do that, we have to make sure that either there is an advocate within each of those teams that understands community and how to make their function work with the community, or we need to have enough headcount to actually put a community person there. So, I mean... One side is training somebody on that team. The other side is actually putting a community person in that team who understands that function and how it interplays with community. It's a lot to ask, right? And so we have to think about how do we scale that idea and make it resonate? So that's kind of my take on that. Yeah, I think you're like spot on. I mean, I, I think there is a lot more internal collaboration, discussion, connectedness that needs to happen between teams. I think a lot of organizations still operate and, you know, I know it's kind of buzzwordy, but these very siloed mechanisms, right? It's heads down, what's in front of me, that's what I do. And not seeing all the things or interacting with all the other teams and people on the journey is um, detrimental ultimately to the business. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say is we need to get community, we need to get all of these areas more connected so that outwardly, you know, it has the chance for a more positive impact. So, yeah, I'm doing a lot of work right now with customer success organizations and Mm -hmm. it's so fundamental to me because I started in product support and customer success at SAP that that is the core value of community is how can I help you get the most out of my product once you've bought it? Now, over the course of my career, I've learned more about the front end side of that and you know the, the pre-sales momentum that is built mm-hmm. by generating community and you know, come to understand and appreciate that more than I did early on. But we have to make sure that customer success organizations, which seem to be the focus right now. I've seen a lot of buzz about customer success lately and scaling customer success. Well, how do you do that? Um, 
with a community. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was part of my world too. And it's, it's really interesting because if, if you think of customer success as kind of there's sales implementation, customer success, those lines are getting a lot blurrier now as organizations try and like ask people to wear a few different hats, but that there is innately tension between onboarding and customer success, kind of like there was maybe innately some tension between sales and implementation. It's kind of like whoever's ahead of me did it wrong or said something they should have. And, and so now there's friction and that's not necessarily true, but there was not the investment in relationship or a person who could speak the language of, of across that journey and try and help connect those dots. And until a company does invest in people who, or, or emphasize the importance of that, you're going to, I think this friction is going to continue to exist. And then that trickles out, right? Because you lose the opportunity for feedback loops. You lose the opportunity to inform the, the broader community and make the whole experience better. But yeah, I mean, in my entire SaaS journey, there has always been this built-in friction between these kind of handoff points or, or teams. Um, I think it's for exactly what you're saying, Jamie. There is a lack of acknowledgement of what's happening along the way and a willingness to work together versus it's kind of othering your own yeah. internal team. And it's like, what? No, we, like, we, we all work together. Like you don't work for the client. Like we all work together to make the client experience better. Like let's start there. Yeah. That's, you know, like I would identify that as an internal community issue because right. you're not speaking the same narrative. You're not speaking the same language. You all are not trained to onboard the same way. And it's funny that like, Laura, you, you, you said this, you're like, oh, I don't experience the community. And it's just like, you have no idea <laughs> how important onboarding is in community. And you are an expert on onboarding. It's fair. Yes. You know, and so mm-hmm. I'm like, you bring like the most just like sought after skill set that most community managers want and need because that is like step number one in someone's community journey is that mm-hmm. onboarding process. Yep. Um, so anyways, I just need to make that point because it is, is that it's actually something that like I've in the past have like, either written about or like put specific strategies around is like, how do we make, because it's your first impression with the community, right? So how do we make this? How do we educate them? How do we give them the best resources? How do we make them feel welcomed? How do we make them feel included? And how do we set them up for success? And I think that is both an internal and an external issue. I have seen a lot in communities and in organizations in the tech industry. It's just not like, first, they suck at onboarding people in their own people. And then second, they suck at doing it with external people who are volunteers. Right. So like, it's, it's so like Jamie said, everything is actually so interweaved with community and it, really bothers me that community is been feeling like such a trend Because every time I interview, one of the things I tell my employers, I'm like, you know, back to what Jamie said, everybody wants to monetize this. Everybody wants to measure this. And for me, I'm very transparent. And I say, this is a multi-year 
multi-year strategy. Do not come to me in a year and tell me to prove my job and how I'm bringing in revenue and for the for the company and what I'm doing for the company because I'm like I'm developing relationships with individuals. That's really hard to measure. Yeah. And that's like the the core of my job is developing those relationships because then I have to go back to them and be like, "Hey, pretty please go on. Do me a favor. <laughs> Write a blog for me. Come on." We're friends, right? Right? We're friends, right? And so people like, I, this is like, sorry, it really bothers me because it's just people are like, well, you know, are you going to measure this? How is this making us money? And it's just like, why did you hire a community person? Like, seriously, like, what is your interpretation of community? Because if you think a community person is here to like make you, like millions of dollars, you're not going to see that impact in a year. You're not going to see that impact in two years. You're going to see that impact when your community is in the thousands and that takes years. And I think the the virality of some brands is working against us in that sense because they see a couple of brands that just blow up seemingly overnight. And it's like, okay, firstly, they have a badass product. Do you have a badass product? <laughs> Not everybody has a badass product. They got to get real honest. They got to get real honest exactly. with themselves. <laughs> like, talk to me. Are we at MVP level at this point? Or are you in 10 years of technical debt? Like, where are we in the badass product meter? <laughs> and- it's really niche. That was the other thing last right. time. Um, with my past job, I was working with an open source project that was very niche. People had to be very technically, like, they had to be advanced in order to be able to use this tool. And so they're like, well, why aren't people adopting? And it's just like, well, maybe you need to teach them how to use the product. And maybe before they get to this stage, they actually need this other set of skills first. Exactly. So I think that in that sense, in my mind, and again, I've been on this sort of almost spiritual journey in figuring (laughs) out what I'm doing next uh, (laughs) over the last year. In my mind, education, training and development, all of that plays such a key role in the success of a community. And it has to be tied together, right? It has to reinforce itself. You need to have mentorship from more expert people. We've always known that was a fundamental dynamic of community, but nobody does it well yet. And it has to come with actual learning and actual development of your career skills. And they have to be tied directly into what you are doing with the product if you are running a vendor community. And I think, you know, open source or commercial Ultimately, you're asking people to come in either to your point, Jackie, with an existing skill set, or you have to help them develop that skill set. And it's one of the things that has made MongoDB very successful with developers is they have a full dedicated education team that built and runs their university, their their learning program. Um for anyone who is looking to monetize certifications, I mean, that is an income stream, I guess, but 
my thing is, are you in the business of certifying people or are you in the business of enabling them to use your product that you're actually trying to sell? Yeah. And I think those are two very different um, focus areas. And so sure, you can monetize certifications if that adds value, but that shouldn't be your focus of your learning program. And ultimately, I think community comes into play in, in three core places in the customer journey. One is learning about the product and, you know, being interested in it because people told you it was good. Two is onboarding to the product where you're learning about how to use it and getting set up for success by having that foundation of skills. And then three is learning how to get more out of the product and becoming an expert and developing those more advanced skills. And becoming a super user. Yeah. And I think that if companies really thought about it, so going back to what we were talking about before, Laura, if companies really thought about it, those functions are have to be served either way. Mm-hmm. So they're either putting that on marketing and support slash customer success, or they're developing a community that is, you know, peer led and scalable. And I think what a lot of them probably haven't figured out yet is that you you can't hire enough CS people to support all of your customers in the way that they need to be supported to serve those three functions in a way that is scalable and is going to sustain your business and make you profitable. It's yeah. it's not feasible. No, you it's know extremely who, hard to do. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, you're good. Uh, you know who I really like who has both um, like a peer led community, but also an academy is HubSpot. All their, all their certifications. Well, I mean, last year, all the certifications that I did were free. Somebody told me that they've started charging now. And I can't remember. I don't know if it was you. Jamie. It was probably me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, paid. Yeah. Some of are, them are, are now paid. paid. Yeah. Um, but before everything was free and it was, you know, the educational content, they administered the test. Um, and now, then, I, I want to clarify that, though. The content is still free. You can still learn all the skills. If you want to get the certification that says I am certified, yeah, I believe you have to pay for that. Okay, yeah, super expensive though. So I'm not sure what the yeah. Um, The other one I think too, who had a really good community and and like education as well was Salesforce. Um, You know, I think those are also. I think you have to pay for them. But again, Salesforce community is whole next level. Exactly. (laughs) I was just like, their community is like on steroids, but it is a good example of both peer led plus um, a private company putting dollars behind content being produced, blogs being produced, having an entire department dedicated to, to supporting this. And so I agree. I don't think certifications should be your revenue Uh, generator. But I think that if you are really trying to build a community, launching some sort of academy, some sort of educational content machine for your product is really powerful. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what you're saying before about knowing the skills that people have to have to use your product. Salesforce, very, very complex product to implement and to design to work for your ecosystem. Yeah. And that's why they have a very thriving partner ecosystem. But those people became partners through, they came up through the Trailblazer community. Yeah. Right. And 
they know Salesforce knows what is required for their product to thrive and survive in the world. And they've invested in it accordingly. And that's why they've been wildly successful. Now, asking why they did a bunch of layoffs, I don't know what to tell you. But here we are. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think also layoffs happen from the direction of the board, right? The board gets really panicky and it's like, let people go. More shareholder value. <laughs> this has been so fun. And what we will do is we will bring in a, an expert guest in the second half of this hour. So I want to set that expectation for everybody that it's not just going to be us talking amongst ourselves. If you do have topics that you want us to cover, questions that you have, or anything like that, experts you want to see us talk with. We have set up a Reddit specifically for this podcast so that you can post questions, uh, talk amongst yourselves, and we will also answer questions out there. But we'd love to hear your ideas and hear about the things that are interesting to you. And we're happy to cover those in the future. Uh, We'll also have a couple of sponsorship spots that uh, we will normally in the middle of the the stream here before we switch to our our interview session. So format-wise, that's where we're going with this and would love to hear your feedback and how we can make this more fun and interesting. Uh, Looking forward to announcing our next guest who uh, we need to confirm still, but I'm very excited to have them on. And uh, yeah, we'll let you know as soon as we know. Yeah, so the the plan is to stream every Monday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard. And then by the end of the week, we'll polish this up into a podcast-style episode. 